This is This Alt-Right Life with Matt Forney. Get ready, the world is changing. And a very warm welcome to you, whether you're listening in Europe, America, or anywhere in the world. I'm Matt Forney, and this is This Alt-Right Life. I'm coming to you from somewhere in Budapest, Hungary. Thank you for tuning in to this 37th episode of the program for this the week of January 16th, 2017. On this episode of the show, I talk to Corey Savage. Corey is a writer and a contributor to Return of Kings. He is also the author of Man's Fight for Existence, The Primalist Manifesto, available on Amazon. You can check out Corey's articles at Return of Kings by going to returnofkings.com and follow him on Twitter at twitter.com slash theprimalmail and gab at gab.ai slash primalist. He's also blogs with The Primal Mail, theprimalmail.com. On this show, Corey and I discuss his new book, Man's Fight for Existence. We discuss his concept of the system, and how modern life is hurting humans physically and spiritually, why modernity seems to, seeks to break down all racial and sexual differences between humans, how people can fight back against the system and restore their health and well-being, and much more, so stay tuned. In the interest of full disclosure, I should mention that I served as the editor of Man's Fight for Existence, The Primalist Manifesto. Aside from that, and the fact that we are both contributors to Return of Kings, Corey and I have no connections beyond that. Uh, Corey, welcome to The Salt Right Life. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. Now, I do this with all my first-time guests, because it's always a good idea to let the subject define themselves in their own words and not put words in their mouth. So, Corey, for the people in the audience who don't know who you are, could you just give a brief overview of yourself and uh, your, your work, that kind of thing? Well, I'm a writer at returnofkings.com, and I also run my own blog, but that's defunct now. I plan to start a new one soon. Uh, okay. The work I have is really what defines me, my book, Man's Fight for Existence. Yes, and that is the uh, the subject of uh, this podcast, uh, Man's Fight for Existence, the Primalist Manifesto. Do you want to give an uh, overview of the uh, book and what it's about? Sure. So the basic premise of the book is that our very core nature as human beings and as men is in direct conflict with the modern society and its culture, and that this conflict is creating all sorts of problems from our health to societal problems and so on. Yes, and um, basically you approach the uh, whole idea of you, – you have a concept called the system. Uh, you trace humanity's evolution from hunter-gatherer uh, societies to agriculture, and the great bulk of the man's fight for existence is dedicated to what this concept you call the system, which is your shorthand for the uh, – the the modern world it's uh it's basic and and what it's doing to us could you give it give an overview of this concept and uh and how you've sort of developed it yeah well <clears throat> you've got to understand the system as a symbiosis between humans and technological society for example we humans or what i call our very primal identity is hunter-gatherer tribes right so the first the first symbiosis, the first major one, was with the advent of the agriculture, when humans started a symbiosis with grain and livestock. So we formed this agricultural society that was completely different from the hunter-gatherer lifestyle that we lived in before. So the symbiosis means that we are dependent on the grain and the livestock we grow, and they, in turn, are dependent on us. So our ev evolution becomes intertwined. So as this agriculture society develops over time through history, what happens is what happened is that this technological industrial society 
came about. I would say the system first got its inception uh, first with agriculture, then the next stage with the Industrial Revolution. So with the Industrial Revolution, what happens? What happened was that humans became dependent on technology and machines for their survival and to thrive. And the machines and the industrial society in turn is starting to use the humans for its own growth. So it became this super structure or a system. That's why I call it the system. And the thing about the symbiosis is that unlike agriculture, it's much greater than anything we've ever seen before as human beings. So the superstructure basically starts to farm us just as we started farming animals. So the superstructure itself becomes an entity that uses us for its own growth. And the thing about the system is that all it wants is growth. It wants rapid growth in the short term. And it wants to control basically all life on Earth while integrating everything as resources. Basically, it exists to perpetuate itself, and it's going to keep going and going and going until everything is under its total control and it's consumed everything. Yeah, basically. Um, and the other thing, as you mentioned, was uh, this: uh, the system more or less came into existence in part due to the uh, technological uh, advancements that enable close-knit communication between uh, larger and larger groups. Because as you pointed out, with the, like for example, the agricultural revolution or the industrial revolution, uh, back then traveling from continent to continent, uh, all these different places took uh, was far more difficult, uh, took far longer. Um, you know, communicating over vast distances uh, was uh, very much a, a chore. But now we live in an era where you know I can shoot an email to someone around the on the other side of the globe, and they'll get it like two seconds later, um, which is what fuels the growth of the system. Because uh, instead of just uh, taking a single nation or a single people under its grasp, uh, it can take the entire world. And as we've seen with the uh, uh, the Americanization of various cultures around the globe, um, that's precisely what's happening. Yeah, that's correct. And it started in Europe because Europe was the most technologically developed continent in the world. Then as Europe colonized the rest of the world, it spread that way to the rest of the world. And we can see that countries like Japan, China, or the UAE, various countries in Africa and South America, they all resemble this modern technological society that Europe and the United States started uh, yes, and uh, one of the uh, it's in, in the uh, the f defining features of the system, not just its total control, but the way, as you've said, it's degrading um, the the human spirit, uh, the human body. Uh, you you've used a term in the in the uh, for example, a term in the uh, second uh, section of the book called anti physicality, whereas uh, the the uh, human activities of hunter-gatherer and, to a lesser extent, agricultural society were based around you know physical achievement, physical exertion. Whereas now, uh, people go to work. Uh, most people go to work in offices, and they entertain themselves with video games or movies, stuff that causes the physical degradation in their bodies, which is accelerated by our increasingly uh, you know uh, bad diets. Uh, you you want to elaborate a bit, elaborate a bit more on, on this concept of anti-physicality because it's uh, something that I haven't seen uh, explored as deeply in, uh, in, in books that uh, are in the same vein as yours. Yeah, uh, anti-physicality is 
I say one of the biggest changes in our personal lifestyle. So whether it is work or whether it's for leisure, we tend to sit just like we're sitting right now. We sit and we watch, usually an electronic screen. And that's how human life is being transformed. So because of this sort of lifestyle, which only helps the system grow, because we don't gain anything by sitting. We gain maybe knowledge, money, things necessary for our existence, but we don't gain anything in terms of health, strength, a sense of adventure, and so on. And instead, what the anti-physical culture does is that it gives us alternative surrogate activities, such as spectator sports or video games, where we sit in front of a TV or a computer and pretend like we're being physical, basically tricking the brain to be thinking that we're engaged in some sort of a physical activity just to stimulate excitement. And it's degrading because, as we know, obesity is now epidemic, even in third world countries. It's uh, degrading our health and it's causing number problems. I would say it also causes insomnia, heart problems, joint problems, muscle atrophy, and so on. And and in terms of work, we know that, that work causes extreme amount of stress and anxiety for people who don't even want to work because I think I saw a survey that said majority of Americans don't even like their jobs. So clearly people are confined to their workplaces for hours and hours upon every day, which they don't even want to work. So in those ways, I would say that anti-physical culture is one of the more defining defining feature of the system. Yeah, yeah, and to sort of uh, to sort of uh, elaborate on that, uh, all these activities, anti-physical activities, are about simulating um, simulating activities that do involve physical exertion. So on the one end, it's very insidious because uh, you're you're tricked into doing something that you feel is giving yourself a sense of accomplishment, uh, when in actuality you're not accomplishing anything. Whereas you know, video games, you know, your your most the successful video games, the ones that appeal to men, uh, are about simulating some sort of, you know, masculine activity. Uh, so you get a sense of achievement for uh, engaging in some masculine activity when all you're doing is sitting in front of a, you know, a TV screen pressing some buttons. Or in the case of, say, internet pornography, you're experiencing the uh, the, the, the joy of, of having sex with a woman, except you're not having sex with a woman, you're just sitting in front of your computer screen. So that's the really ins- the insidious nature of it. it. It tricks your brain to thinking you're doing something when you're not. Yeah, exactly. And the system benefits because... It wants people to be passive. Doesn't want people on the streets, you know, protesting about some government corruption or oppression. They want the system wants people to shut themselves in and confine themselves into their box of entertainment. And along the way, they also make profit because we, as we know, sports and video games is a huge industry to basically exploit men. Yeah, exactly. Um, additionally, um, in in uh, your critique of the system, you also mention uh, what you what, what is my favorite what, my, one of my favorite parts of the book, uh, equalism, and how uh, it's uh, basically uh, driving the human race down. You want you want to elaborate a bit more on on your ideas on on equalism? Yeah, sure. So, like I said, the system wants growth and it wants control so that it would grow faster and better and bigger. And to make growth more efficient, 
what it needs to do is standardize the human race because the more local identities and differences there are, the harder it is for the system to use the human population as its labor force or as consumers. So to accomplish that, what the system does is it promotes uh, this idea of equality, which is really a standardization down to the human race through what I call the material compulsion. Material compulsion being the uh, material conditions that compel humans to adopt certain ideologies or attitudes and so on. For example, if a business decides to only hire, I don't know, white people, then that business will suffer. So businesses tend to be more open, more integrating, and so on. Um, countries, for example, industrialized countries that refuse to let women work in offices would suffer because countries that do let women work in offices would have double the labor force. So basically through natural selection within the system, what happens is this systematic integration occurs where all people, regardless of race, sex, or whatever, becomes accepted as a worker or a consumer of that society. Because the less friction there are, the better and smoother the system runs. So these equalists are, in a way, a manifestation of the system itself. They, but they, in a way, they go another step ahead. They want equality for not just for all races and sexes. They want equality for, you know, homosexuals, transsexuals, and I don't know what the new thing is these days, but you got the truth. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and equalism is basically about, uh, Eliminating all distinct, distinct distinctions from ethnic and cultural differences to differences between the sexes. And in this culture, everyone has to be a replaceable unit because everyone's number one value is how much they can, they can consume. Um, there was an essay Jack Donovan wrote a few years back in which he sort of talked about transsexuality as the ultimate uh, expression of, of this consumerist culture because we're talking about people who, want, who think and want to change the fundamental structure of who they are, their gender. They, they, they want to uh, rearrange their private parts um, and in order to be some, something that they're not. That's the ultimate uh, – when you're, when you're down to that level, when you're you know, actively denying that you have an identity uh, as a man or a woman that is based in your DNA, that's, that's indicative of something that's seriously wrong in a consumerist culture that is uh, extremely advanced and it's, it's rot. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the other things I talk about that – the system is a consumerist identity. It needs to promote this idea that you can be anything you want as long as you buy certain things. You can do anything you want as long as you purchase one of our products and so on. Yes, and you see like with the with – the, uh with, with the increasingly gender bending nature of pop culture, with all this, uh, you know, uh, what, what Aaron Curry calls the, uh, you know, ass kicking, uh, you know, uh, butt kicking uh, – female cop show or whatever um in which uh, we don't even we're not even allowed to distinguish ourselves from between male and female anymore everyone is interchangeable you are what you are whatever identity you've conjured up this morning and if, if anyone criticized that that well they're just a uh, you know a homophobe uh, a Z, whatever phobia they've invented now um and it just it just keeps advancing in and itself with uh, with no end in sight you know the the end goal is to for everyone to be a 
a pod person or like in Huxley's Brave New World, just living for pleasure and nothing else, no higher thoughts. Yeah, because the system only can only grow through consumerism. And for consumerism to continue, people need to constantly seek new things, better things, and so on. And I think it's what uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, yeah, his name is uh, Nassim Taleb, yes. Yeah, Nassim Taleb calls uh, neomania, which is constantly seeking something new. So if you watch movies or television shows with traditional gender roles, it gets boring and stale after a while. So they constantly need to innovate and change things, change the gender roles and so on. So I think that also plays a role. Yeah, and uh, bringing up Neomania is actually an interesting way to dovetail into what I also want to talk about, which is uh, in uh, Man's Fight for Existence, you critique the idea that technology is an, uh, is always a, a good thing or a positive thing. You, you do a, a, a considerable critique of how technology has altered uh, you know, the way man behaves and not necessarily for the best. Uh, you, and that's something you don't hear a lot these days. Uh, you don't hear a lot in pop culture about how you know technology – Technology in the eyes of the system and in the eyes of most people is always good. You know, we're always advancing towards something new and, and uh, more advanced. You want to you want to give a um, you know uh, elaborate a bit more on your views on technology and how it's uh, altered the uh, the human race. Yeah, um, like I said, the system is an entity that grows for its own sake, not for the humans. But what most people confuse is that. They see the progress of the system as progress of humanity itself, when it's not really that way. <laughs> so, I mean, you look at people today, their attention span is so short. I heard like something like 20 or 30% of youth don't even know their own telephone numbers. Um, people have trouble memorizing. People are getting fatter, unhealthier, and so on. People are becoming more dependent on technology. And as we use more technology, governments and corporations get more and more personal information and data on us and so on. But, yeah, people just seem to think that technology is always good, so they just don't stop. Um, so if you compare it with, say, people of the past, like ancient Greece, their technology was nowhere close to great as ours. But they created great art. They had great heroes. They had masculine virtue and so on. So I think... One of the ways our civilization transformed dr drastically is how we view progress and greatness. I mean, these days we see progress and greatness by looking at how much a person makes money or how advanced the society is in terms of technology, but not in terms of a masculine virtue, honor, loyalty, how skilled a man is, how... Uh, how great a man's leadership skills is, and so on. Yeah. Yes, and uh, that's uh, that's something that uh, that's a that's a that's a good uh, segue into uh, our second segment. We're going to take a, uh, a brief uh, break. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. I'm Matt Forney, and you're listening to this Alt Right Life. We never get bored. 
expected that you may get bored with winning. Believe me, I agree, you'll never get bored with winning. We never get bored. Listening to This Alt Right Life with Matt Forney. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Corey Savage, author of the uh, Man's Fight for Existence. Now, uh, in this segment, Corey, I want to ask a bit about your uh, uh, ideological and, and literary influences. Um, uh, when I was, um, as I mentioned uh, uh, just prior to uh, bringing you on, uh, I was the editor on uh, Man's Fight for Existence, and I see a lot of uh, uh, Theodore Kaczynski, uh, the, the Unabomber Manifesto, uh, Tentacle Society and its malcontents. I, I think I mangled the title there. I also saw a lot of Penti Lincola's uh, Can Life Prevail um, uh, ideas on, on that. Could you elaborate a bit more on your, uh, on your uh, ideolo- uh, ideological influences and what uh, sort of inspired you to, uh, to write uh, Man's Fight for Existence? It's funny about Ted Kaczynski. I actually didn't read his book until I was about 70% done with my own. But I did borrow a few concepts such as surrogate activity and so on. But I was actually quite surprised that many of my ideas were quite similar to his. Um, But I would also name Keith Preston, the anarchist, as my utter influence in terms of politics. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Keith Preston, Attack the System. Yeah. And I think some essays by Roosh. I can't really think of anything specific, but yeah, some of Roosh's articles. And But the biggest influence was Jack Donovan's The Way of Men. It was actually after having read that book that I came up with the idea to write my own Man's Fight for Existence. Yeah, I've, I've noticed a lot of, of, of Jack Donovan in there, particularly the idea of, you know, uh, you know, breaking down the core components of masculinity and and whatnot uh, and you've sort of synthesized that into a greater whole with uh, you know uh, anti-technological ideas from uh, from uh, Kaczynski and uh, you know and like I, like I said you know, Penty Lacola his book can life prevail sort of uh, goes through the same ideas uh, it's uh, basically Lacola is a radical uh, uh, ecologist who views uh, Extensive population growth and democracy as being incredibly bad for the human race. He advocates radical solutions for it, uh, like, you know, voluntarily getting rid of uh, large portions of the population. But uh, the idea where I, where I get to see that is the, the critique of technology, the critique that of uh, the idea that uh, technology um, and is always an unrivaled good and that liberalism is, uh, you know, the path forward. Progressivism is the way forward. Yeah, um, I actually haven't read his book, but I guess it's 
one thing I plan to read in the future. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's uh, worth, yeah, it's worth pointing out for a quick plug. Uh, Can Life Prevail is actually uh, put out by Arctos, which is uh, the parent company of Write On, which is bringing you this wonderful podcast. But uh, but yeah, that's a that's a quick plug for the listeners. But uh, as you were saying, sorry, I didn't want to talk over you. Yeah, I was just saying I haven't read the book, and I think I plan to read it read it in the near future. And also, as for my other influences, um, I would say just history and biology in general, like. I read Dawkins's, uh, what's the book? One of Dawkins's book on evolution, and I saw the parallels between evolution and the growth of technology and society. And yeah, that's where the idea of the system came about. Yes. Um, now to sort of uh, graduate towards the uh, the final segment of the program, uh, Corey, what ideas do you have on how people can, uh, how men can can resist the system? Because you know it's an all all controlling force, but it's not impermeable, and also you know it's important to to push back this force that is quite literally destroying the human race. What sort of practical first steps would you recommend to to listeners to sort of uh, get uh, uh, get involved in uh, in uh, reclaiming their health and their and their spiritual well being? Well, I think there are two main stages. First is to take personal responsibility for your own life. So to try to return to your primal roots. Um, this first step, many people probably actually do it already. For example, a lot of people work out to compensate for this anti-physical culture that we live in. So we run, we lift weights, and so on to you know, maintain our strength in our modern society that doesn't really encourage it. And second, there are people who do paleo diet, which is basically eating just like our primal ancestors ancestors have done in the past to avoid this corporatized, um, corporatized junk food and processed foods that wreck our health. So people are in some ways taking responsibility already towards becoming more primal to become more healthy and strong. So those are some of the things we can do in our personal lives. But as I've described in my section in technology, it's not exactly the easiest thing to do because society is still progressing. For example, if I want to reduce technology, it's going to be very hard. Um, If I stopped using the internet, for example, or stopped using a cell phone, my job opportunities are going to be very limited. Yeah, I mean... uh I mean, uh, to give an example in that regard, you know, back back in the states, you know, you you uh, you, for example, even to apply at Walmart, you need to you know use you know the internet, you need to fill out an online application, have email and such, you know. So even uh, the most menial jobs require some sort of uh, technological uh, you know advancement use. Yeah, and because of that, our the way we can help ourselves is quite limited, which brings me to the second part of resistance is to actually actively fight against the system and the ultimate goal must be to bring down the system itself there is no other way we can't reform the system as ted kaczynski would describe it because reform is impossible technology will continue to grow the economy will continue to grow and it's not going to stop because few people say no to it as long as the majority of the population continues to consume continues to adopt new technology, the system will grow and will be either dragged along with it because of what I call the progressive conformity 
because if you don't go along with the times, along with the society, you're going to basically exile yourself and be rejected from it. So the only solution really is to destroy the system. And how to do that, I'm still trying to figure out. So I don't have any specific plans yet. But I think first step we can do is to aim for radical decentralization, meaning local identities, autonomy, and um, basically resistance against globalist forces. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's worth pointing out that in this uh, final section of uh, the book, which is on fighting the system, you were a bit cri- uh, critical of reactionaries and people who imagine that we can just go back to the way things were before. Now, you are advocating for, obviously, a, a more primal way of existence in harmony with uh, with man's native, uh, you know, uh, man's natural state. But at the same time, you can't simply throw back the clock uh these uh technological advancements throughout the the millennia have altered humanity in some pretty fundamental ways you care to elaborate a bit more on, on your views in that regard or if i'm mischaracterizing you i i don't think i i if i, I if i am i apologize well I, I don't really have anything against like conservatives traditionalists and whatnot but i feel like their efforts are somewhat misguided because instead of fighting against, say, the technological society or big governments, I see that they're more likely to go against the immigrants themselves or certain policies or certain political parties, but not the system itself. So I think that's a bit of a distraction. So they're hitting, um, you know, like individual like pieces of it, but they aren't hitting the core problem. Yeah, what I would say is they're fighting the symptoms rather than the core cause itself. Yeah, that, that that that's a that's a fair summation, and um, and 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 uh, basically, what sort of prospects do you uh, give for humanity sort of overthrowing the system? Because I was uh, I was listening to Common Filth Radio um, uh, before uh, I came on here, and he was talking about. Um, the movement towards self-driving cars, and he's sort of making the point that these technological advancements that uh, you know. And, you know, they're always sold as a way to make people more productive. But what in actuality they do is make people lazier. Like, you know, there are people making the case for self-driving cars like, oh, they'll let people get uh, more work done. But in reality, he says, you know, people are just going to use self-driving cars to, you know, they'll be on Snapchat or Instagram. They'll play, be playing video games. You know, they'll just be wasting time. Um, so each one of these technological advances that are intended to uh, to make life easier, what they do is they just create the, a demand for more laziness and uh, e- even even less work, you know, uh, to, to, a, to, to a humanity that's aspiring to, as uh, Colin Felt put, to, to be a piece of veal wrapped in cotton. What, what sort of prospects do you see for the, these trends reversing? Well, I would go beyond laziness and complacency. I think it's possible that the system will simply um, obsolete mankind. For example, Uber was created and it pushed out the taxi drivers. Now they're trying to create a driverless car that serves as an Uber. And that's going to push out the Uber drivers. So I think more and more people are going to lose their employment and their means of earning money, which is why we're seeing the middle class getting destroyed. And we know that many of the fast food restaurants are now trying to adopt uh, robots to serve customers instead of paying minimum wages to low-class workers. So I think it's possible that we're going to have a large 
number of young people who are going to be unemployed with no prospects and so on. So my vision is that before the system actually completes its globalist project, that the people are going to start a revolution or rise up against the system to uh, reverse its effects. Yeah. You you think that uh, basically uh, the system is the, the system's desire to uh, make man obsolete is going to work against it by just uh, going too fast, too quickly, and bringing too many people out of uh, the system of employment, uh, the system of being able to make a life for themselves. Yeah, and that's just one way. There are other ways that people are resisting. For example, the system requires uh, low-skilled laborers to come in in the form of mass immigration to replace the population that's not reproducing. So because of that mass immigration, we're seeing a backlash in Europe and in the United States. So that's another way that we're seeing a backlash against the system. Although the people who are against the against the multiculturalism and mass immigration may not exactly recognize that the system itself is the cause. Um, we're also seeing backlash against bigger government in the United States and elsewhere. We're seeing a backlash in um, against corporations. Even among the left, we're seeing backlash against, you know, the destruction of the environment and so on. So people are waking up and I think people are resisting, but these people don't recognize the system for what it is. So they're continue, continuing to fight against what's apparent and not the core issue itself. Yeah, I mean, uh, so basically, it's a good thing that all this progress is being made in fighting the system. But until people realize what the core of the problem is, instead of hacking at its various limbs, uh, you know, that's, that still uh, means uh, we have a long way to go. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So the solution I propose, like I said, radical decentralization, I think would be one of the better options. Because there's this endless and perpetual tug of war between the left and the right. And if you look at election maps, it's basically divided between the big cities, big metropolitan cities, and the rural areas. So the big cities like New York, San Francisco, London, and so on would have all these leftists who are multicultural, feminist, progressive, and so on. And the rural areas would have all the nationalists or traditionalists, conservatives, Christians, and so on. And there's this perpetual warfare between this left and the right, and no one is winning. And as long as this tug of war continues on, I think the system will just continue to grow. It doesn't matter if the left wins or the right wins. We've seen what we've seen it with communist countries like Soviet Union or communist China. Their communism didn't last forever, even though they purged everyone they considered as reactionaries. And right-wing dictatorships in Chile under Pinochet or Frank Spain under Franco didn't last forever. The, the left or the right would always come back. So there's always this perpetual tug of war between the left and the right, and no one ever wins. But the system continues to grow. So as part of as part of radical decentralization, I think first step that needs to happen is for this left and right to basically be independent of one another.
Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting way to put it, and it dovetails what Roosh has to say about how global elites uh, maintain control by creating a dialectic with two separate sides to create friction, which is basically what you're saying the left and the right do. They friction against each other, but nothing ever gets solved. One that one's in power, one isn't, and we're saying that uh, you know that and that's just and that's by design. That's by the system's design. It wants to keep both sides perpetually fighting so that it can uh, you know extend its own control. Yeah, exactly. So that people will never unite as one to fight against the system itself or its beneficiaries, basically the elites who run the system. Yes. Um, uh, we're coming near to the end of the program. Uh, Corey, is there anything else you'd like to bring up before we close out the show? Uh, no, I don't have anything in mind. Okay. Um, we've, we've covered everything nicely, given a, a people a nice taste of what's in the book. But uh, right now, I think it's about time to go. I have been talking to Corey Savage. You can uh, follow his uh, columns at Return of Kings by going to returnofkings.com. I have a link to his articles in the post containing this podcast, or check out the description if you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever. Uh, you can also uh, check out uh, Man's Fight for Existence, the Primalist Manifesto. It is available on Amazon, right? Right now, um, you can follow Corey on Twitter at twitter.com slash theprimalmail. He's also on Gab at gab.ai slash primalist. You can also check out his blog uh, for the moment, you know, theprimalmail.com. Though, as he said at the beginning, uh, it's defunct and he's going to be revamping it very soon. But, uh, Corey, thank you once again for uh, uh, coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was Corey Savage, and that will conclude this episode of This Alt-Right Life. I'll be back next week. Until then, I invite you to check out our website, righton.net, for our latest articles, podcasts, and videos. You can also check out my personal blog at mattforney.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please share it on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening via SoundCloud, please like the show by hitting the heart icon on the player. You can also repost it to your accounts by hitting the repost button. Subscribe via SoundCloud. Go to soundcloud.com slash rightonradio. If you're listening via YouTube, please like the show by hitting the thumbs-up icon below the player. You can also subscribe via Stitcher and the iTunes Store. And finally, if you are listening via the iTunes Store, please take the time to rate the podcast, which will increase its visibility and allow the good gospel of the alternative right and the European new right to reach more people. This All Right Life is presented by Chloe Love and Dave Serini. Check them out on the web at chloelove.com and steersoftheworld.com. The show also features music by Winglord. Illegitimate on Don't the bastards grind you down. I'm Matt Forney. Thanks for listening. I'm out. <laughs>